Welcome, and thank you for streaming this sermon. At Heritage Baptist Church, we believe that the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus can truly change lives. So it is our hope and prayer that this service stirs up your affection for Christ and helps you to draw closer to Him. For more information, please visit hbchazlett.org. Take your Bibles and turn to Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 8. I appreciate the music tonight, always do, and appreciate the, the offertory tonight. Miss Sarah, wherever she went, Miss Sarah Cardenas did a great job. And Miss Sarah, who is your piano teacher? You don't have, go to the music studio, awesome. I do know we have a couple piano teachers in our church, and it's great to see young people. Uh, coming along, I enjoy hearing from our young ladies and gentlemen playing the p- piano. Nehemiah chapter 8, it's been a while, so I'm going to just kind of jump, jump into it. But Nehemiah is divided into two parts. We really didn't cover this, but just it's divided into two parts. Chapter 1 through 6, we have the reconstruction of the walls. And so in chapter 6, we see the walls are completed. In, in chapter 7 through 13, we have the reinstruction of the people of God. So here are the remnants that have returned to Jerusalem. Uh, the temple's now been built and now the walls have been built. And Nehemiah there in chapter 7 uh, organizes and begins to put things in place. And so he restores, if you would, not just the walls, but he restores the order of, of, of government in the city of Jerusalem. And so now... The attention is turned towards the spiritual things. Now Ezra, the priest, kind of steps up into the forefront and uh, back into the forefront and begins the spiritual revival of the people. Uh, Ezra had been there 13 years longer than Nehemiah in the city of Jerusalem. And so now Ezra begins to address the spiritual need of the people. All right, look there with me in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street That was before the water gate, and they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. Verse 2. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. By the way, it's the Jewish New Year. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday before the men and women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. Beside him, and gives a list of names. I'm not going to try to pronounce all those tonight. And it says in Ezra, verse 5, And Ezra opened the book. That's kind of in, we're just going to skip that. Is that all right with everybody? Verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up of their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Again, I just want to point out that worship's always equated with bowing. Verse 7, and also Joshua and Benai, and go through another more list of people. Calls the, look at the ver- end of that verse, verse 7 caused the people to understand the law, and the people stood in their place. Verse 8. So they read in the book 
in the law of the God distinctly. I want to read that again, verse 8. So they read in the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. That's what we do when we teach and preach, by the way. It's what every Sunday school teacher ought to be trying to do. And really, uh, that's why we, we say that expository preaching is the best preaching. It's taking, taking verses and just, and just giving the sense of them. Preaching the word of God distinctly and giving the sense of them. Verse 9 in Nehemiah, which is of Tarsheth, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord, neither be ye sorry. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And that will be kind of our, our main theme tonight. So the Levites stilled to all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy, neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth, because they had understood the words that were declared unto them. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight again for the word of God. We thank you that you've given it to us, that we might, through your Holy Spirit, understand it. I pray tonight as we speak, may it encourage us to renew our efforts in our daily walk with you and reading our Bibles. And Lord, may we rely upon your strength, the joy that you've so uh, richly given to us. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see again, Ezra is back in the forefront. He begins to... Uh, preach if you would takes the word of god begins to preach it and distinctly give the sense and so the people gave attention to it so verse one we see they had a hunger for the word of god they had a hunger for the word of god and all the people gathered them this gathered together as one man into the street one man into the street if we are to have strength for day to day we need to have a hunger for god's word psalm 19 speaks about us desiring the Bible more than money, more than gold, more than silver. The Bible, according to Job, should be desired more than food. That's why when we do revival, which by the way, we're just about six weeks from our revival meeting with Brother Dave McCracken, looking forward to that. And we, we usually fast at least one day, withholding from food. And by, the Bible should be more desired than food. Psalm 119 speaks about the Bible being a treasure the longer you are saved, the more you read your Bible, the more you find the Word of God to be a treasure. A never-ending treasure. It's bottomless. It's an amazing book. Amazing book. It's a book that is alive. It's dynamic. A hunger for the Word of God above other books is so important when it comes to daily strength in your life. If you want to experience the joy of the Lord, then you need to have a daily walk with Him. If you want to have the joy of the Lord, you need to have fellowship with Him. And so we need to have a hunger for God's word. I, I know I, we laugh about it, but there are a lot of illustrations in the spiritual life that uh, are equate to the physical. And, uh, you know, this morning while I was preaching, I was hungry. I was. I told Brother Reed before I started the service that morning, I said, I don't know why I'm hungry this morning. Generally, I'm not at that hungry. But during the entire service as I'm preaching, I was hungry. I needed a sandwich. I needed something. And, uh, you know, we need to have that hunger that we have for physical food we need to have that same kind of hunger for the spiritual food we ought to when we don't when we're not hungry physically it usually means something's not right physically something's wrong 
I know uh, the Terriers were out playing on the playground. Their little boy was out there playing. She said, boy, he didn't eat much yesterday. I said, well, was he sick? I asked the question, is he sick? She said, no, he'll make up for it today. Because usually if a child is not eating, you think, oh man, there must be something wrong. The same thing happens when, spiritually. When we're not hungry for the things of God, when we're not hungry for the word of God, uh, there's a spiritual issue there. We need to address it. They had a hunger for God's word. Then we see, number two, they had a hearing of the word of God. And it says that Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the congregation there upon that Jewish New Year's Day and began to read it. He stood upon a pulpit. And that's kind of our, if you would, kind of what we pattern after when we think about the pulpit here and standing above and preaching. Uh, We see this pattern in the Old Testament that has been bridged into the New Testament. We see the New Testament apostles doing the same thing and giving heed to the word of God there as we preach upon or preach there upon a pulpit. Hearing the word of God. By the way, it was a long service. Did y'all see that? I kind of pointed that out. (laughs) Says they came from morning until midday. Started in the morning, you know, seven, eight o'clock and went to noon. So let's say they say they spoke four hours. Uh, Yeah, I'd like to see uh, Christians today set for four hours. We go to conferences many times and and we sit through uh, conference meetings and sit through. I'm talking about preachers go to a conference meeting was set through uh, a service from morning to to afternoon. That's tough sometimes. Right. The, the, The mind can only take what the body can absorb. I'm thankful for her. I'm thankful for our very comfortable chairs. And so, uh, but we see here that they had a long service. And I, I think this equates to they, they were not, uh, you know, they, they, were, they weren't in a hurry. And I, and I know that I'm, I'm that way. I like to, we have since the very beginning, try to respect the time of our congregation and trying to finish somewhat on time. Now, when we have special speakers, they can do whatever they want. But as a pastor, we try to finish somewhat on time. Uh, and I think that is important. I think that people have plans. But sometimes our plans get, in, get into the plans of the Holy Spirit. And at times when we do go over, can I just remind you that zipping up your Bible during the invitation is annoying. Can you just kind of set it to the side? Just, just We shouldn't be in a hurry. And I, I think we, we kind of forget, as a kid I was taught growing up, that I better be careful what I do during the service because I'm impacting somebody who may be sitting beside me who may need what the preacher's talking about and may need to make a decision. So we need to allow the Holy Spirit there. And if we're not careful because we are in a hurry and we're zipping up and we're getting ready to, you know, to shut down, uh, we may influence someone else in a negative fashion. So let's be careful, would you? Just, I haven't reminded you of that in a long time. And uh, let's be careful. I've, I've sat down here a few times and you can just hear it in the, in the foreground. I'm at that point in life where the background noise sometimes is louder than the foreground noise. Nobody else has that problem? Nobody? Yeah, all of you. About half of you anyway. And so um, I'm really distracted by the background noise, and I know a lot of people are. So just encourage you. They weren't in a hurry. They had services from morning until afternoon. They weren't clock watchers from the beginning on purpose. I know every special speaker that comes in here says, where's your clock at? There is no clock on the back wall. When I was growing up, both churches I was in, from the time I was you know, two to the time I was 11, it was a big church, had a huge clock on the back wall. And then the, the little Nakona church, which our young people got to see, a bunch of our 
uh, singles got to see, there was always a big clock on the back wall. And I said, if I ever start a church, I will not have a clock on the back wall. Because I promise you, as you're preaching, you sit there and you watch people turn around. And I'm like, why are you turning around for? And they're turning around to look at the clock. And so uh, we shouldn't be watching the clock. And we should be careful about those things. And, and just not being in a hurry. They, they had a hunger for God's word. They wanted to hear God's word. Ezra stands up and begins to preach the word of God. They were, the Bible says there, they were attentive. They were attentive. Look at verse 3 says, and all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. I think this would equate to us being very careful about what we do prior to the services. In other words, what we're doing on Saturday will affect our Sunday. Amen. And uh, what we allow our young people to do on Saturday night will affect their Sunday. And so what am I trying to do, say plain and simply? Uh, Go to bed on time on Saturday night so that you can enjoy the service on Sunday morning without falling asleep. Make your teenagers go to bed at a decent time. You know, I, I still believe, and at our house we practice it, uh, I don't think any teenager should be out past midnight. Nothing good happens past midnight. Amen. And so nothing good happens past midnight. Amen. And a mom and dad ought to put some curfews on their, their little children's and uh, keep them uh, uh, pinned up a little and uh, watch out for them. Is it pinned up? Was that a good one? I like that one. <clears throat> pinned up. And, uh, but just having that thought in your mind that whatever you do on Saturday is going to impact your Sunday. And I know from time to time, we went to Nakona and we worked hard on Saturday, physical labor here a couple of weeks ago, Brother Johnson. We worked hard. And, uh, and that's why I was kept saying to the singles that went, hey, let's, let's quit at five. Let's quit at 530. I think we ended up quitting at six. But want them, want them to be able to get home and, and rest that evening and, and get ready because the, the Sunday is far more important than what happens on Saturday. And so we ought to have that. So practical things tonight. How about that? Being careful. Being careful what you do. Making sure you get the rest that you need so that you can be attentive. They were attentive to the Word of God. They were attentive. Number three. Honor was given to the Word of God. Honor was given to the Word of God. Verse five and six says, And Ezra opened the book and all the side of the people, and they, and they stood up. And when he, when he opened it, all the people stood up, and Ezra blessed the Lord. So you'll see a lot of special speakers, some of our revival speakers and conference speakers, when they come here, will ask you to stand in honor of God's word. And, and that's a tradition that was started years and years ago. It's, not, it's, not, it's a preference by that particular preacher. I have chosen not to do that. But they're doing it. Is, here's the example of where they draw that from. Now, giving attention to the word of God, you can do that while you're seated, in my personal opinion. Uh, you, can, you can do that while you're seated. God's more concerned about the, ins, you know, the, the position of the heart than he is the position of the body. Amen. I'm just telling you. Um, and I have some other things. Someday I may touch on it about this subject. But we ought to give uh, respect and honor to God's word. Uh, I love it. It says, they said, amen. <laughs> Ezra blessed the Lord and great God and all the people answered, amen, amen. And lifted up their hands and bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And we ought to give honor to God's word. Uh, I just, again, want to say tonight, don't, let's, as a church, let's don't lose the shout. Um, and get used to saying amen on Sunday mornings. We have a couple of men in here that are very vocal. And when they're not here, it's kind of quiet. Come on, men and ladies. Ladies, this is, this is not, you know... Doesn't mean you can't, man. Just, just, amen, right? Let's practice. Ready? One, two, three. 
see? And I love it when Brother House is here and he kind of folds his ear over. And Brother Weedo does the same thing. And uh, I'm not going to start doing that, but we just need that. We need to not lose the shout and have respect and honor for God's word. And amen just simply means I agree. It's like saying sick him to a dog. Really, for a preacher to be able just to say, okay, everybody's on board with that. Let's move ahead. Everybody's on board with that. Let's move on. And so encourage you to not lose the shout. And uh, over the years, we've really had to concentrate on that. I was attending a church when I was a kid. I used to do some singing and, and churches would invite me. And I went to this one church. It was, it was a big church, First Baptist Church. And um, I actually wasn't singing at that time. I was going to a teen rally. And here was this big church. Lots of adults, lots of teens there. I say big church for, for Bowie, Texas. There's probably 250 or 300 in the auditorium. And I tell you, the whole service, nobody said amen. I sang at a church in Sunset, Texas. Little bitty community. But it was the bigger church there. And the whole service, I just sat there. Nobody said amen. Nobody said, I'm, I'm like 17 or 18. And finally the preacher said something good. I said amen. And then I did it again. And then I did it again. And I had three or four people walk up to me after the service and say, we appreciate you doing that. I don't know why our church stopped doing that. And so we got to be careful. Let's, let's honor God's word. Let's be attentive to the word of God. And, and uh, let's don't lose the shout. Let's worship him. Amen. And worship is not about shouting. We've already went through this a lot. Praise Praise and worship are different. Praise is praising God for who he is and, and what he is and so forth. If praise is part of singing is praise, giving is praise, those things. Worship is, again, humbling ourselves before him. I want to encourage you on Sunday mornings. I know the staff does it on the platform. I think a couple of choir members have done it. And I'm not saying you're obligated to do it. But if you're physically able on Sunday morning, when we do the opening prayer... And I appreciate Brother Farron did that this morning. So Brother Farron gets up here to pray. I, I just encourage you, if at the very least you might sit down in your chair and just think and contemplate about God and get your minds on Him. That's worship. Humbling yourself before Him. Right? I mean, again, this is not worship. Or, or this. Um, singing technically is not worship. Though it is a part of it. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with this. Just want to clarify. Um, we need to worship Him. Amen. Take time to contemplate about Him. To think about Him. I just want to encourage you to do that. Worshiping Him. And, um, and to exercise that. I love what uh, this is Adrian Rogers said this. He said, it's easier to cool down a zealot than to warm up a corpse. How many of y'all know who Adrian Rogers is? I'd encourage you, especially young people. Man, if you want to listen to some good preaching, he passed away a few years ago. Great preacher. You can still find his podcasts and his videos everywhere. Uh, but I love that saying. It's easier, easier to cool down a zealot than to warm up a court. I, I'd rather someone get a little too excited than nobody to get excited at all. Amen? Amen? Amen. We ought to get excited about the things of God. And then, number four... They had an understanding of the Word of God. They had an understanding of the Word of God. And here in verse 7 and 8, and also Joshua, it says that they stood up. The people understood the law, and the people stood in their places. Verse 8 says, So they read in the book in the law of the God distinctly, and gave the sense, and caused them to understand the reading. Uh, it was actually um, Dr. A.V. Henderson 
some of you may remember, who pointed this verse out years ago to me as I sat in his living room. And he just reminded me over and over again, this is what you're doing as a preacher. This is what you're doing as a preacher. When you stand up to preach the word of God, you're to give the sense of the law of God, preach the law of God distinctly and give the sense and cause them to understand uh, the reading. So we ought to do that. As Sunday school teachers, I just want to encourage you once again, uh, you ought to have a Bible in hand when you're teaching. Be careful about teaching from the lesson book. Let those children see that Bible laying uh, there on the table as you're reading it. Let the Bible be the center focus as you're teaching when it comes to uh, every area in children's church or, or even master clubs. If you're teaching in master clubs, I know they, there's some nice material there that the master clubs gives you. Nice Sunday school material that we give you. Uh, and, and adult teachers the same way. You can certainly take... Um, good material from West Coast and from Crown and other ones uh, that we have. But let's make sure that we have the Word of God in our hand, that we're teaching from the Word of God and that our students who are, who are seeing that see us preach and teach or teach from God's Word. Even if you use an iPad, which I have zero problems with that. And I've seen preachers in this pulpit use an iPad. I would have my Bible there with it and use, that, use my outline, but I would hold that Bible up and let the, that the people might see, and my students might see, that I am teaching from God's Word. Amen? And uh, we, we ought to always be reminded that the Word of God should be the center focus. We ought to properly handle the Word of God, explain the Word of God, and uh, again, learning the Word of God. Teaching with an open Bible in hand. Number five, the results of the Bible. What is the result? Well, we see the results. There was mourning. There was mourning. It says there, and Nehemiah says in the day uh, was holy unto the Lord for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. They wept. There was mourning took place. There was broken hearts. There was, they were conscious of their sin. They were conscious of their failures. Weeping and mourning is a means to an end. Weeping and mourning is a means to an end. What is the end? Joy. As a Christian, weeping and mourning is a means to an end. Weeping and mourning should produce joy in our life. That sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? But it should. As our title of our message tonight, Strength for the Day. How are we as Christians to have strength from day to day? Where is that strength found? Where is strength found? It says here, verse 10, For the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. What is joy? We're not going to go into it in depth tonight, but joy of the Lord is not jovility or hilarity. It's not a smirk on your face. My dad always, I I sometimes will run around with a smirk on my face if I'm not careful. My dad calls it a grimace. I grimace sometimes. That doesn't, doesn't mean I'm having joy. Joy is not hilarity. No, joy is much deeper than that. I think about comedians whom the world would look at and say, man, that guy must be truly happy. Think about Robin Williams who committed suicide and many other comedians over the years who committed suicide. Just because you are a funny person doesn't mean you have joy. What is joy? What is joy based upon? What is this? If the joy of the Lord is our strength, then what is that joy? What is joy? Well, number one, joy is based upon forgiveness. How are we to experience joy? We experience joy through forgiveness. I'm thankful that I'm saved tonight, aren't you? I'm glad I know I'm saved and that I've been forgiven. 
I've been forgiven. What a, what a blessed, what a blessedness it is to know that. Again, this forgiveness is not earned, it's given. It's given. I don't earn forgiveness from God, He gives it to me. What a, what a great promise. I think about the prodigal son. The prodigal son who left his dad, took, took his inheritance and left his dad and lived it up, found himself eaten in the hog pen. And he said to himself, I'm going to go back home. He said, my, my dad's servants have it better than I do. I'm going to go back and ask my dad if I could be one of his servants. And he went back to his dad. But we you know what was his dad was looking. I could just see dad on the, on the second floor porch looking over that vast estate. He was a rich, wealthy man and looking to the gates of his estate every day looking for his son to return. One day, his son walked through the gates. His dad ran towards him. I could just see, again, the Bible describes he, he hugged him and, uh, and gave him food and gave him raiment and put the ring back on his finger. And, and there was great joy, not just joy from the prodigal son, but the Bible says there was great joy by all of the son's return. A prodigal son who, who lost everything, but yet forgiven by his father, and then experienced joy. He didn't just experience joy, but others around him experienced joy as well. Joy is found in forgiveness, and that forgiveness is found in asking Jesus Christ to save you and forgive you of your sins. Then we think about joy, that joy is based upon a calm assurance. And... Uh, we, uh, Alan Redpath, one of the commentaries I'm using in this study, he, 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 he called it nourished affection. I'm sorry, nourished affliction. Nourished affliction. That in affliction that God nourishes us. He, he cares for us in our afflictions. And so we can find joy in affliction, knowing that God is in control. Knowing that God is in control. We'll cover this more in a moment, but as we as Christians walk through this life, we ought to walk with God step by step in fellowship with him and, and having that calm assurance and knowing that God is in control, that he has my best interest in mind. John chapter 15, Jesus said, these things have I spoken unto you that your joy might be full. What were these things? Well, he said, in this world, you shall have tribulation. And he said, abide in me and all these things. Listen, if you want to have joy, abide in the Lord, walk with him. If you want to have joy, then understand that there will be affliction. He said, in this world, you shall have tribulation. Amen. But be a good cheer. He said, I have overcome the world. Amen? Amen. But understand that he is in absolute control. Number three, joy is based upon obedience. Joy is based upon, you think about the Lord now. Jesus Christ, Hebrews 12, 2 says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. What? Jesus Christ went to the cross who for the joy that was set before him, and you saying that it was a joy for the Lord to go to the cross? He says it is. Because he had us in mind. He went to the cross and there he died for him. In other words, he had joy in obeying his father. What did he, why was he sent to this earth? He said, I was sent to seek and to save that which is lost. Listen, he was sent to die for us. That's why he said, it is finished. Remember he said to his mother, wist not that I must be about my father's business? He said to his mother when he was 12, 13 years old, there in the temple, why, why did you, didn't you know where I would be at? They came to find him. They found him in the temple. Wist you not that I'd be about my father's business? And then at the cross, it is finished. 
He finished the Father's business. It was a joy for the Lord to obey the Father. And so you will find joy in obeying the Father. If you want joy from day to day, then again, we're equating it with strength. So he says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. So he's saying joy and strength are synonymous. If you're going to, as a person, as a Christian, if you experience joy, it's going to give you strength. So you want strength? Uh, Obey the word of God. Obey the voice of God. Follow the commands of God. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You want to experience joy from day to day? Walk with the Savior. Obey him as he commands you. Serve him. Do you find the work of God enjoyable? Sunday school teacher, do you find the work of God enjoyable? Master club worker, choir member, usher, vacation Bible school worker, do you find the work of God enjoyable? We ought to. And as we find it enjoyable, it'll strengthen us. It'll strengthen us. Do you enjoy your ministry or do you endure it? I ask that question many times to myself. We ought to enjoy the ministry. We ought to enjoy church. We ought to enjoy the things of God. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And lastly, joy is not, and we use this one all the time, joy is not based upon circumstance. Joy is not based upon circumstance. Happiness depends upon what happens. Joy does not. No experience in life can touch you without His permission. Nothing can touch you without His permission. If you're a child of God tonight and you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then nothing happens in your life that the Lord hasn't given permission for it to happen. You say, well, you're saying that God knows every detail of my life? I would say to you, absolutely yes. I keep track of my my boys, especially Micah, who's still in high school. Still some things there that we watch closely. Amen? His phone and other things. Rules set in place. Why? Because I love him. I want the best for him. Listen, the Lord watches out over you. He's not allowing anything into your life that he has not given permission to. The tests or the trials, the temptations are all allowed by God. Again, to grow us, to help us. And we said this here just a week ago. You can't have green grass without rain. You can't have growth without storms. We know, we know that in nature. And that's the same thing in our own lives. That the storms of life help us to grow as people, as Christians. I love that saying, and it's cliche, but where he leads, he feeds. Wherever the Lord leads you, he's going to provide for you. Whatever the Lord leads you to do, whatever area in life he leads you to do, that he will provide, he will enable you and empower you as a Christian to overcome in your life. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us and gave his life for us. Listen, he will, he will provide. I don't know what you may be going through tonight, but he'll provide. And by the way, he says he'll, it, that as you go through the trial, that he'll make a way of escape. <laughs> that he has his hand on the thermostat. He knows just how hot it is. And we used that same illustration the other night. That I mean, uh, tea's a lot better when, it gets, when, it's, when it's heated up. Especially if you add sugar while it's hot. Let that sugar melt in there. Mmm, 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 mmm. Sweet tea. God is never late. He's never early. He's always on time. Illustration of that in the Bible is Paul and Silas. There they've been thrown into prison in in Philippi. (laughs) There in the Philippi prison, Philippian prison. Uh, Yeah, the jailhouse rock, right? But there they were, beaten. 
in stocks, in shackles. And yet at midnight, they were singing. They were singing. They were in prison, but they were singing. Others heard them. See, they they could have joy in the circumstance. Joy is not dictated by circumstance. Joy is given to us by the Lord. I would say to you, joy is not earned, it's given. Joy is provided by way of forgiveness from our sins. Joy is provided by way of our yielding to our Heavenly Father and obeying His voice. Joy is given to us, uh, and that calm assurance is given to us by the Heavenly Father. James 1-2 says, Count it all joy when, uh, when, you, when you're taken, you fall into diverse temptations. We're going to have times of struggle and pain. And we have to count it a joy. Strength equals joy. It's found in getting our eye on the Lord, our eyes on the Lord and not ourselves. By the way, Galatians 5 gives us the fruit of the Spirit. And guess what? One of the fruit is. By the way, there's only one fruit. But part of that fruit is joy, right? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith. Joy is part of that. So when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit... It's given to us. You want to experience the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. The Lord will give that to you. You want strength from day to day? It comes from joy. And joy comes from, again, forgiveness. It comes from that calm assurance in times of affliction and testing. It comes from obedience. It comes from, not from circumstances, but it comes from the Lord. Are you Do you have joy tonight? We see the word of God brings conviction, which brings about mourning, but results in joy and strength. When we humble ourselves before the Lord, when we mourn because of our fallen condition, it brings about joy in our life. Amen? Let's all stand. In 162, Lord, I'm coming home after we pray. Heavenly Father, again, we come to you thanking you, God, for your love for us and the joy we experience as children uh, of God. And Lord, I pray tonight if there's someone here who finds themselves without joy, Lord, may you strengthen them and enable them through your spirit to experience that abundant joy that they so uh, richly need. Lord, may we find strength from day to day and the joy that you give to us. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Him, when it's- On behalf of our church and staff, thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons and more information about our church, please visit hbchazlett.org.